Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Report podcast. This is a special episode, Matt Report, exclusive uh, piece of content produced by Keith Devin, uh, who's putting out the new Pricing WP podcast, which you can find at pricingwp.highrise.digital. Uh, that is the URL. So pricingwp.highrise.digital. You can see his agency at highrise.digital. Uh, but Keith is putting out this new podcast. It's all about pricing projects around the WordPress space, freelancing, consulting, small agency, big agency. And today's episode, he interviews Elliot Taylor. And they're, they're really diving into the, uh, the mindset of pricing and, and why you price projects the way you do. And it's not just about sustainable business, but it's about a sustainable, and I hate to say it, a sustainable lifestyle. Uh, one of the overlooked uh, parts of this conversation, I would say, is how Elliot approaches work. And uh, one of the things he even mentioned was, you know, I need to price to work a, a limited amount of days during the week so I can spend those other days promoting myself and finding new businesses. And I think a lot of consultants, myself included, guilty as charged, overlook the fact that when you get into business for yourself as a freelancer, there's a, it's an amazing opportunity that you can do it. But we forget that we also have to find new business. It's not going to come while we're while we're working on projects from for customers. You know, five days a week, six days a week. You have to spend some time promoting and building out that portfolio and those messages uh, and, and pieces of content. Heck, even podcasts. And you got to find time to do it. So I really love this uh, really in depth conversation, and and I applaud Elliot for for being so open to talk about. Uh, you know the struggles and 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 the the good parts uh, of of freelancing and building a business in the WordPress space. It's Mariport.com, Mariport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list. Let's dive right into that episode. This show is all about pricing and I've got a lot of questions for you um, about pricing so let's get into that let's say a prospect reaches out to you they've landed on your website they've seen what you do they've filled out your contact form how do you take that prospect from from that point to giving them a price for the work that you're going to do well it starts at the contact form where I take in a few more details than I than I did when I first started. I asked them their timeframes. I asked them what their budgets are. Um, and alongside that, it's, it's a conditional form. So if they say on budget, I don't know, I then display a, um, an, a blog post that I've written, which helps, helps them sort of price their project, helps them create a specification and sort of guides them through the process of um, of how to start thinking about their project in terms of how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost and what they what budget they have. Can you give a bit of an overview as to what that what that content is in terms of how a client should start thinking about their budget? Yeah, so I wheel out the car analogy, and I think that is the that is the most overused analogy when we talk about pricing websites and pricing products, but it works very well. You can have, you can spend a lot of money on a car. You can, um, what's, what was that classic MTV 90s program? Pimp your ride. You know, you can pimp, you can pimp up your website as you desire. Um, you can bid on, you know, new, shiny rims, or you can just buy a banger and make it go because all you need to do is get from A to B. It really depends on sort of your requirements. So budget is a very flexible thing and you can get sort of snarky freelancers who will sort of quote silly figures because they're trying to make a point that the project is as much as you want it to cost. So I sort of bring that, I try and sort of uh, illustrate that budgets aren't as static as you might think, and it really depends on what you need. If you say I need a, an e-commerce website and my budget is only a couple of grand, then rather than try and uh, shoehorn a bespoke uh, WooCommerce or Magento project into what they need because that's what the skill I, I I have in this example. I might say, look, for that for that budget, and that doesn't even include you haven't even considered design, you might actually prefer a sort of a SaaS offering like Shopify or Prestacart or um, some some alternative. So that's the sort of conversation I try and have about opening up about budget. It's 
it is quite a hard conversation to have because people are skeptical about skeptical I'm not sure if that's the right word or just wary about revealing their cards you know revealing what money they have at their disposal um but the more professional somebody is the more um more experienced they are the, the less less of a hurdle it is these are often um problems that you have with inexperienced low cost projects and if if someone if someone pushes back so say you're in a in a conversation about budget like on the phone i know you've done some pre-qualification but i'm sure you still have to occasionally talk about it and they push back on maybe why you're asking and and they give those reasons for example uh if i tell you my budget i'm sure no one's actually ever said this but this is what they're thinking like you said if i tell you my budget you're just going to charge that full amount what would you what would you say to a client about why it's important um i would say um i say it's about building a trust trusting relationship um and that it's a tricky conversation to have i'm not yeah. gonna, i'm not gonna pretend it's not like i've got a, the perfect answer for it um but I would say that, you know, if you want to build a long-term relationship with your developer, you want to build something that's sustainable and ongoing, then you need to be able to break these projects down into how many days they're going to be and how much they're going to cost. Um, I often say that the last thing you want me to do as a developer is to set a fixed price and sort of naively try and attempt to complete this project Um so say they say, well, I'll build you a website for two grand. And I sort of jump in thinking, oh, it's fantastic. It's the sort of thing I did when I started. Um, I would then overstretch myself and it would take, say, a week longer than I'd estimated. I'd then stop making any profit. My margins would be completely decimated. I might even make, start making a loss on the project. And as a consequence, I won't be able to focus on that project because I need to pay the bills. So I'm going to have to bring in other work. And that sort of gets deprioritized. So I would try and illustrate that the importance of getting your budgets correct and your timeframes correct um, feeds all the way back to to the client. They want a developer who is um, earning their keep and is successful so that they can reinvest their time back into the project and not deliver subpar results. Um, so I think having that kind of honest conversation can be quite a healthy starting point to, to working out budgets, even if the, they are quite elusive at the very early stages. So if someone does give you a budget in that contact form and then you start having a conversation around requirements and it's obvious that their requirements um, or their budget doesn't match their requirements, um, how often do you think you can convince a client to actually raise their budget? Well, oftentimes I'd suggest a discovery process or consultant a consultancy session. So um, I would say, look, you're not at the stage to commit to... Um, to building this project yet you're actually at an earlier stage you, you're trying to work out your time frames and your budgets and what and your requirements really you need to build a specification how about um, how about we sit down get a meeting room for half a day and thrash it out and that document you can then use to either work with me if we if we decide that um, there's scope for that or you can use it to build a relationship with some other developers and I'm even happy enough to sort of make recommendations within um within the local community or online if, if it's um you know applicable yeah so is that would that be a paid for service yeah i'm a big believer in paying for discovery sessions um you know i won't lie i get emails uh often from from clients who have included a um discovery a free discovery brief like a specification that is sort of on a pdf from a different uh, from a different agency or a different freelancer, and it makes me squirm because I think, oh, these poor, these poor sods have spent I don't know four or five hours digging deep into um, <laughs> into this project, and then it's just been sort of forwarded round to a dozen a dozen different freelancers and agencies to try and sort of fish for the best cost. Um, so I'm quite reluctant of doing discovery sessions. I don't think. Uh, you know, for free. I don't think it's it's uh, it sets the tone for the ongoing relationship because it devalues your your time and it, you know, and it also could just undermine you because it they could just use that and go somewhere else. Absolutely, I find that that discovery work is sometimes the highest value work you'll ever do for a client. 
So it's uh, I think it's worth charging for for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are whole, there are consultants that you know work on a value based pricing system where they don't they don't bill like a, um, a fixed hourly rate. They'll say, okay, this project this this is a uh, a fifty grand project, and I'm going to do um, a set consultancy bit of work to try and work out what's the best way to to initiate the project. Perhaps it's a migration, going to a new platform. So they'll work out their pricing based on the value of um, a value that they're going to provide instead of getting the ball moving and sort of starting in a strong foundation. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one angle that a lot of a lot of sort of um, discovery consultants will take in pricing their own value. The client has come to you. You've got their budget. You've got their requirements. Everything looks looks okay in that regard. What next? How do you get to a final quote? Or a proposal. Well, I guess I'm a little bit different to a lot of other um, sort of agencies, freelancers, boutique agencies, however you want to describe them. But you know, other people in my space, in, in as much as I'm, I'm a big um, proponent of um, giving estimates for days and then keeping the client updated on progress as it goes along because there are just so many variables involved when you're building projects so many unknown unknowns that if you want to have that transparent honest relationship you have to be quite flexible with how long projects are going to take so i would say i estimate this is a 10-day project um, and then i would as you dig into the project get a clearer idea of how that Project progressing. If I'm going to be under or over the the the, the initial estimate, um, so that that kind of method, that kind of way of working, suits some clients but doesn't suit other clients. A lot of clients will want very fixed. So if I want to know I'm going to get everything done for this set price, um, and you know, oftentimes they're not the best fit for how I work. But other clients prefer it. Do you basically turn down fixed cost work? You never, you never do it. You'll always try to to go down a time and materials route. And if the client comes with you, that's great. And if they don't, then they're not not the right fit. Yeah, pretty much. I, I'll, I'll I'll explain, you know, my day rate, and I will um, and I will give an estimate for the for the project. And I, the, the what what I want to avoid is um, scope creep, which is um, you know inevitably a huge part of any project. Um, and also devaluing of my time. So if I say, if I if I, if I do a fixed price, and then suddenly a load of load of um, new requirements get pushed into it, and and such like, then if it's fixed price, you feel very obliged to sort of keep the client happy and fulfil this ever expanding brief. Um, and it's I think it's quite a dangerous dangerous approach. So I try and um, I try and sort of keep the communication constant. So even after a day or two, if the if the exploration of sort of digging into this code um, means has revealed something else, I mean the classic thing would be you, you're working on somebody else's uh, code base and you discover a right clangor in amongst it all that you wouldn't have been able to find unless you started sort of looking under the bonnet. Then as soon as you as soon as you see that, as soon as you've made a new appraisal of how long this is going to take, communicate and um, reassess with the client. Say, look, I found just as you would with a car. And I use this, I do wheel out the car analogy a lot, but sort of, you know, you take your car in for a service and they say, oh, we found a, uh, some brake, um, some brake uh, cabling has perished. And, you know, I'm afraid to say that it's going to be another five hours work. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm reluctant to do the fixed prices on, on just, just as a, you, you would, wouldn't expect your mechanic to say, I'm going to fix it all for a fixed price. Yeah. Are there any major drawbacks of that model that, Time and materials model in your experience? Yeah, you're you're um, you're you're, th- you're saying no to a lot of work. So um, yeah, there's a there's a drawback. Um, but I have found that the high quality work um, isn't affected by that. So it's a filter, and it uh, and it works well for me. But um, um, I, you know, for all I know, the thing with freelancing is I could have I could just be on a lucky streak for the last um, five <laughs> years or so. So I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to get too cocky about it because I'm sure if I have a three month drought of work, then I will uh, crawl back to taking, uh, to taking <laughs> yeah. the fixed price. 
<laughs> the interesting thing for me about the time and materials model, or, or one of the one of the factors when it comes to deciding on a pricing model, is the balance of risk. And in the time and materials model, it appears that most of the risk is with the client. So, how do you go about managing that um, and keeping? I guess potentially taking on some of the risk yourself if you do, or just making sure that you reduce the risk as much as possible? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's all about risk. And I want to minimize my risk. Um, I, I was the other day, I was, this is somewhat related, is that um, I, another developer in my co-working space was telling me how um, he's taking a, taking a short-term loan because one of their clients um, was unable to, to pay them he doesn't want to take them to the, to, this is a bit of a tangent, I do apologize. Doesn't want to take them to the uh, small claims court because he, he wants the ongoing work because he, he believe, believes there's a, a, a rich seam of, of work coming away, but they haven't been able to, to um, get the funding they required to pay him. So he's taking on a loan. And it, and it made, me, made me shiver, to be honest, to think that this guy has, has become a bank you know, well, not only has he got the, uh, the the lack of earnings, but he's taking on this, you know, uh, this loan to try and um, fill the gap to subsidise this potential work. And I think this is a road that you can go down if you if you're not careful. With in many respects, whether whether it's just finding clients who can't can't pay the bills or can't pay on time, or you get you know, or if you're taking on risk in as much as I'm going to guess it's going to be a project that takes this long. And I might come up trumps. I might um, I might have to sort of uh, pay the risk in in an extra five to ten days work. Um, depends on yeah your risk. What would they call it? Your risk um, risk profile. Risk profile. Yeah, I guess yeah. if you want to go down, you know that way. I, I try to minimise it. I think having had a number of um, uh, painful experiences early on in my freelance career, I decided that. Um, it was better to be transparent about the risk and say and and to the client and say, look, this is the risk. The risk is it's going to be about eight days to to fifteen days. This is this is where I feel it is going to be. I think it's going to be eight to ten days, but I will let you know as I go along. And after a couple of days, I'll have a much better idea. Um, and I and I think that sort of tra- that transparency and lack of awkwardness about risk is really refreshing to some clients, but uh, but not to everyone, as I said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two parts to, I guess, putting together a price that's based on time and materials. Um, there is the amount of time it will take and the rate that you've set. So let's dig into to each of those separately. So in terms of the time, whenever you're putting together an estimate, so I, I guess in the time and materials model, it is an estimate. It's not a fixed quote. How do you go about coming up with an estimate for a project, a time estimate? That's a tricky one, but it comes down to experience. Um, Again, sometimes you're making estimates on big unknowns. So the designs might not have been completed at this point. So you really have no idea what you're getting yourself in in for. But you can say, okay, in my experience, it's going to take anything from half a day to a couple of days to build build a, a, a design, like for a page. Assuming yeah. some level of interactivity and um, responsivity for um, for points, or if you're building an API design, and I recently had to do an, an API integration with Meetup, so I, you know, could scan through the through the documentation, see they had a quite robust RESTful API, look into how OAuth worked. I've done OAuth a few times, so I know it's going to be about um, you know so many hours to do that, and and you sort of break it up into bits it's 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 not rocket science but a lot of it comes down to uh, experience we we do something similar so we try to just break the project down into the smallest parts that we can uh, and we estimate or just based on experience how long that how long that might take so we try to get as granular as possible obviously you know you've there's got to be a limit to that or it's not that useful and just takes too long but we do something similar. So once you've done that, do you ever show that to a client or do you show them 
the total. So do you say this feature and this feature and f- this feature line item by line item, or is it just I estimate that the total project is going to cost X? Well, I do. I do the itemization of how long um, each element is going to take myself, and I and I do share that with clients. Some some have got to a stage where they don't they don't need to see that level of detail. Others do want to see it. Um, normally, for each itemized element, I'll do a sort of a range. Um, I've worked with some I've worked with some agencies who use story points in Jira. And I thought that worked quite well. They sort of divorced the idea of this being a um, a time estimate, and it's more of a sort of hardness ex, um, estimate, like how how much effort is going to be involved. Um, that's quite nice. But also, I think um, when you're working di- directly with clients, they prefer to sort of work in um, time estimates. I know someone explained that kind of story-based or effort-based model to me once and i just didn't get it (laughs) so i was like how are my clients gonna understand this if i can't well i've worked with someone else which i quite like this one is that they had a um in their project management tool they had a an exponential uh sort of option of how of hardness so it sort of you could you didn't have to be sort of stuck with just sort of just incrementing so in, in a linear way you could say this is extraordinarily hard on tickets um but essentially, it's just different measurements of you know how long it's going to take. Yeah, yeah. So the other part of the price is going to be your rate. So if do you work on a hourly rate, a daily rate? How do you how do you kind of split up your time? I work on a daily rate, um, and I'm just going to open. You might have to edit this little bit of um, jibber jabber out. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to open a, a blog post I um, wrote. A couple of years ago. Okay, maybe you know it better than me because I haven't read it for a few years. (laughs) Um, But uh, I uh, I, I asked 100 freelancers. um, I did a talk at WordCamp Bristol and in preparation for it, I asked 100 freelancers how they measure their time. How do they track their time and how do they um, sort of, how does that translate to going to clients? Um, And I, I naively thought that everyone would be doing it by hour or by day. And um, I was quite surprised um, at how people broke down their time, actually. Yeah. I'm just going to scroll down and see if I can actually find the stats. There was people, I remember reading it, and someone billed in six-minute increments or something like that. I know, that was my favorite one. Six-minute increments, because <laughs> you could then multiply it by 10. I would never, <laughs> yeah. that's just, it's amazing how other people work. In, you know, how, there are 20% of people build in 15-minute increments. Okay. 26 percent uh hourly yeah then you've got nine percent half days 13 percent 30 minutes and it goes right granular all down to a 50 pound minimum charge somebody charges every five percent every minute um and then one percent 1.3 actually said they were mostly fixed um fixed rate um so yes it it turns out there's there's a huge diversity in, in different pricing pricing methods, at least in the um, in the Brighton area. So I, I just, that's obviously not representative of, um, of, uh, of 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 it being national or global. But uh, from a small sort of pocket of freelancers here, it's just very diverse. So that that's like how they, I guess, measure their time or bill their time. Billing um, time. That was their way they bill yeah. it. Yeah, that's the way they bill it. But I guess everybody there probably has an hourly or daily rate that they, if they're doing time materials or kind of time-based um, pricing, they'll have an hourly or daily rate that they reveal to their to a potential client. And I wonder yeah, yeah. how you've gone about setting your rate and if you have any any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm... I'm lazy person so i try and do everything in a simple way which is in half day or day basically so just that's that's how i try and break things down um i'm also i'm i would rather take on bigger projects and i know people work different way and people have different approaches i know lots of people who are very successful and they take on lots and lots of little items and that's what they like um, for me personally, I find that the there is a 
there is like an activation energy. There's a, there is a, there's a lot of work just to get into the headspace of being into a project. So I need to maybe set up the instance on my local dev environment. I'll need to do a bunch of non-billable work with invoicing and such like. So I'm reluctant to take on multiple small projects, sort of things that will take half an hour, a few hours. Um, I would rather take on a, a chunky project. So I, I, I gravitate towards charging by half day and by day uh, for my projects. I don't know what your daily rate is, and I mean you can you can reveal it if if you're comfortable with. You don't have to at all. But how did you come up with that price per day for yourself? Okay, so I'm going to tell you um, what we're working with. So when you're a freelancer and a, you know and a contractor and anyone who's in the development space, um, self-employed, you're selling your time. And there are 260 weekdays in a year, eight bank holidays, and uh, they're included in your 28-day min- minimum holiday allowance. So essentially, you have 19.3 billable days per month. So that's what we're selling. And um, I don't think many people want to work all those days because you've got sort of non-billable time, such as doing your invoicing and um, working on your bookkeeping and other, and doing your marketing and your self-promotion. So say you're working 75% capacity, that's 174 days a year or 14 and a half billable days per month. And I think that is a really good starting point to start thinking about what your day rate should be. So if you've got 14 and a half billable days, plug that into a calculator um, against what you want your net income to be, what you take home, and you can start thinking in terms of how much you should be charging. Okay. So I, I did the sums and I and I looked at the different um, the different sort of percentage capacity I guess as I like to think about it. So do I want to work ten days a month or fourteen and a half days a month? You know at that seventy five percent capacity. Do I what do I like to work and what can I um, what can I charge that gets me the same net income? Um, I did a good spreadsheet about this, which I'm sure you can share in the. Um, the show notes if you want will do and um I, I sort of i came to the conclusion that it was better to charge more um charge more and expect less days to so say i would charge a rate where i could work 10 days a month and then if i can fill up the additional days then there's a there's a sort of a magnifier effect on those days because my um my outgoings as a freelancer are, are pretty static Every time I earn more, um, that those days are more valuable than the first days, which sort of have to be offset against the expenses and outgoings. So um, that was my approach, and it's it's um, sometimes it's a, it's a bit scary when your your day rate's a bit higher because you're saying no to lots of work, but it it means that um, you can reinvest that time into your marketing, into your self promotion. You can do talks at WordCamps or at conferences and such like, which help um, give you the exposure that you need to to fill those days up. Absolutely. And I think a thing a lot of freelancers don't think about is the P word, profit. I think they think about um, their salary and and that's it. But at the end of the day, unless you're putting uh, a good pension aside or, or building up some, some wealth, um, kind of on the side in a different way the day you stop is the day the money disappears um and if you're if you're kind of factoring profit into it as well then that can help you think in a more a business-minded way I, I totally agree it's it's a cliche but i'll repeat it just in case somebody's not had the misfortune of hearing it but um they say uh profit is sanity revenue is vanity and it is very tempting to get sort of you know drawn towards the the high revenue but if, if, if it's not resulting in a good net income then it's it's not worth it i yeah i remember looking at our um revenue the first i think maybe the second year of high-rise digital and i thought wow that's a big number and then you look at the profit and you're like oh no it's not it's like that doesn't really mean anything you know it's there's a lot of expenses and there were some staff costs and things that were all to come out of that tax to come out of that and everything yeah and and when you look at it basically we we've paid ourselves a modest salary 
and we've got a, a little bit in the bank so those big numbers mean nothing really yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, purely as vanity. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. You mentioned um, you talked about capacity. I find that interesting because that's this is something I always wrestle with and struggle with a little bit. Is is knowing really how much billable time we should be putting in, as opposed to other. You you mentioned a lot of other things like giving WordCamp talks, writing blog posts, doing your marketing, all that kind of stuff. You seem you seem to be a a guy that likes to measure things and think about these things do you have a, a good feel for how much billable time you put into as a percentage um, of your work day yes totally um so i've got some more numbers if anyone out there likes numbers they'll be happy with this bit so if i'm working at 96 96 capacity um that's 18 days um and if i work 18 days at 300 pound day rate my net income is just about 42k if i work at 48 percent capacity which is nine days which is half as much um and my day rate is 600 pounds so my double my day rate i have the same take home i have same net income of about 42k so i always find that those figures are quite nice ones to hold in my head do i want to work nine days a month at 600 pounds um, day rate or do i want to work basically full capacity every day at 300 well we know that working every day at 300 is going to be a bit of a stretch because you know there's going to be no time for, for doing your promotional activities to to bring in the new work so getting a balance i think somewhere between that and i'm you know these these day rates aren't by any means like 300 and 600 i think are pretty standard within um the uk sort of development space but you can go you don't have to sort of see that as a ceiling or a bottom limit but there's a good sort of frame to think about, um, and if you do, if you do work full capacity, then there's this classic quote from um, the the book called The E Myth, which is a which says you want to be working on your business, not in your business. So if you are at full capacity, you are just working in your business as a as a you know cog in a system, and you won't have time to grow your business to think about it. Or if you or if you do, you do it in the after hours and the weekend and we all know that that's a fast road down to burnout and um, job dissatisfaction. Yeah. So have you found a sweet spot in terms of the, the balance between on the business and in the business? Well, I, I try to. <laughs> I think I try to. I mean, we, we all, we all t are um, susceptible to filling our days up when, when there's opportunity to work. Um, but I, I, I try to get a balance. I try to work about um 15 to 18 15 15 days a month with the other days work, working on self-promotion and um building my own projects and doing um other elements which feed into growing the business i loved it when i read that blog post of yours i'd actually done some similar calculations myself i guess as most freelancers do when they they realize they need to take money a bit more seriously and at the time this this was a good few years ago now and I, I can't remember exactly what I was charging, but I worked out that as a London-based freelancer, you really needed to be charging at least fifty pounds an hour to yeah. to make to make a a half decent living when it, when everything was uh, included and capacity and tax and all that kind of stuff was baked in. And at that time, that felt like an awful lot of money to me. And I know that for a lot a lot of other people were charging an awful lot less. Um, so I find that interesting that, that that for me was almost like the break even bare minimum and it was quite a high number. It's so tricky, isn't it, being a WordPress? Um, I mean, I'm just going to talk about WordPress because I'm in that space and I know you are as well. Yeah. Um, but it, this applies across the board in whether a designer or you work in developing other languages. But there is a there is a lot of competition from the from the low the lower costs of um I don't know how to put it really. There's other people out there just charging a lot less. Um, and it's easy to be swayed by that and value yourself based on how much other people are valuing them, their selves. Um, but it's a race to the bottom. And yeah. and also a lot of people who are, are out there selling their wares may, may not have the same skill set as you. So I would try and ignore that. You know, 50 pounds um, an hour is 400 pounds day rate, yeah. which is... Um, which is low for London in any other um, 
in any other uh, programming language. You're seeing React developers are getting 500 to 700 pounds a day. Your agencies are charging themselves out in London 800 to 1200 pounds a day. Yeah. So you start sort of seeing how your rate compares to the wider ecosystem and try and price yourself um, on the value that you provide rather than sort of how the sort of the lower rungs are priced. You hinted there that the WordPress industry maybe values itself or is valued by the market lower than other languages or potentially other frameworks. Why do you think that might be? 100% uh, think that. And um, I suspect that would be a whole podcast episode on why WordPress uh, ecosystem undervalues itself could be everything from the volunteerism and the amateurism, which is a huge element of our ecosystem community. Um, It could be because of the low pricing that we see in plugins that sort of set the expectations for development. You know, I sell sell a plugin on CodeCanyon for 15 quid and the amount of... um, the amount of requests I get for the sort of minor customizations of can you create a, I don't know, basically like a page builder functionality for this tiny little plugin. Um, and I ask the budget and they think, oh, I'll, I'll pay another 20 quid. And, you know, that's that's the expectations out there. Could be that our users are more familiar with paying two or three pounds for apps on, on the iOS app store. Or could be, yeah. there's, I'm sure there's lots of reasons, but whatever the reasons, it's definitely a... Um, it's definitely a, a under undervalued um, ecosystem. You just led very nicely uh, into a listener question, which I was going to do at the end. But uh, Vishal Kathari tweeted earlier saying, "From from the perspective of a plugin development company, how do you set your hourly rates for customizations that customers request for your plugins?" I saw this tweet and I, I said it was a hard question at the time because it, it is. is a hard one. Um, honestly, I just say no. I mean, that is the honest truth. Um, I don't know how you set prices for for jobs like that because they're they're hard and they're bitty, and it depends on the on, on the on the plugin. Uh, I've decided to um, go for bigger fish in my line of work, and um, as a consequence, I say no a lot, and that'd be the sort of project I'd say no to. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a very useful answer for Vish, but um, you know they're they're often very bitty, and you know editing plugins is a nightmare because you don't have um, child themes like we do. You don't have a child plugin, so you've got to start editing core code, and you know, or hope that there's filters that you can sort of sort of work with with the plugin. But that's not always the case. Um, and then if you do edits to the core of the plugin, which is um, you know, seriously bad practice. But if you have to, then you've got to sort of educate the client that this is going to need ongoing upkeep and such like. So, yeah, um, tricky, tricky. There's not really an easy answer there. Um, so no. avoid it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We we sell some plugins ourselves, and we often get similar requests. And I think it's probably the nature of the plugin actually that we do take on customization. And we find it to be potentially very profitable because, and we can come to value-based pricing in a minute, but um, we are the world experts in that plugin. There is no one better for that job. So if you're going to set a daily rate for working on your own plugin, that's the time to experiment with um, higher rates, in my opinion, mm. um, because you're, you're the go-to person. You've got the experience. And that experience is valuable, and that's you know value that value should should come into your price. Um, so maybe it's worth experimenting with a slightly higher rate, or or maybe a, like if it's a small enough bit of work, maybe a bit of value based pricing, um, which leads us on very nicely to value based pricing. Do you have any experience with it? Do you have any particular thoughts on it? I think it's fantastic if you can make it work. And um, niching down into a specific plugin, product, or um, area of expertise is the fast way to sort of being able to implement value-based pl- uh, pricing. Um, I use value-based pricing for more my consultancy work, um, less of my development work. Uh, and I think it comes back down to 
when you're doing value-based pricing, you're still selling your time. So you'd be giving it a much larger multiplier effect, but you're still coming down to how many days you're selling. Um, so for me, I, I look back at my my graph. Remember earlier we talked about working at 48% capacity, which is nine days, or working at 80, 18 days, which is basically full. Now, if I'm going to be working less days at higher rates, which is essentially what value-based pricing is, can I absorb that risk? You know, Can I absorb the ability of not finding those those um, those clients that might pay significantly more. Now for me, I try and get a blend. I try and get a mix of my my dev work and um, I also sell consultancy at a different uh, a different rate. That'd be sort of a, a value base depending on the project. So I sort of mitigate that risk. Um, yeah. There are people who do it just value based and they're highly successful. And I think that is a that is a good sort of end point or a good focus point for a lot of freelancers if they can sort of expand their expertise to allow that to, to be the case. Absolutely. It's something that I've been reading about and struggling with for a very long time. It, it whenever, I, whenever I listen to the value-based pricing experts and read the blog posts, etc., I'm totally taken in by it. I'm like, yes, this is it. This is the holy grail. I can totally see why this works for both the client and the the vendor but i just can't make it work in reality there's just some some big big roadblocks i've actually got a value-based pricing expert uh coming up i'm going to be interviewing him next week so i'm going to put lots of lots of hard questions to him uh, and try to solve my own problems and solve everyone else's value-based pricing problems at the same time I'm going to say another cliche, but um, in the product world, we always say treat everything like a product. And I think sometimes when you're selling your services, and you're selling your time, it's good to think about it as a product. And do you have product market fit? You know, are you selling something that is in demand that can solve a specific um, specific market? And if you so, then yeah. if you do, then you can have you know quite good success with it. But if you're too generic and you don't have that niche, you don't have that specific expertise, then I think you'll struggle. Yeah, absolutely. There was something you said earlier about, I think, kind of fixed kind of ceiling on your income as a freelancer if you're working on purely time-based um, billing because the market kind of sets that upper limit for you. I guess there's only so much that a React developer in London can actually charge, or maybe maybe not these days. But let's let's say let's say WordPress. Let's bring it back to WordPress. There's only so much that a WordPress developer in London can really charge. So there's a kind of fixed ceiling on your income. Have you taken any steps to break out of that? Yes, I mean if you're if you're working at a top day rate of say six hundred pounds a day, um, and you've got your eighteen days a month that you're working. Yeah. Your take-home income is seventy-nine k, yeah. um, which is not to be sniffed at. But no. there's, that's the ceiling. You know, you can increase your day rate, um, but you can't increase the days. So I've, you know, I've, I've been, I work in the product space anyway. So I've been building my own products um, that solve problems that I have, um, and by building sort of more scalable business models, you know, with SaaS, which is with my where I've been focusing on. I hope I can. Um, build a more, you know, just a more scalable business that doesn't have the same ceiling that selling time does. I mean, if I can be so cheeky as into um, even just mention uh, what I've built because it's somewhat relevant. Please do. It's called Simple Hours and it calculates um, your freelancer income. It's basically a very, it's not very clever. It's just a calcul- uh, calculator and a calendar mixed together. So you book out you schedule your days that you're working for different clients, you set your day rate, and it will tell you how much that client is taking home that month, yep. tell you how many days free you have left to fill. Uh, if you do fixed price projects, it works the same way, and it will sort of give you an idea of your day rate, and if you add more days, to say, you've, I've said this, day, this project's gonna be 10 days, I'm gonna sell it for three grand, every time you add another day, it will recalculate your, your day rate. So yeah. it's, just, uh, it's a tool that I use every day um, as a freelancer. Um, what's the um, what's the website? Uh, simplehours.com. Okay. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So that is a... Let's talk about pricing for simplehours.com. How do you, how do you price that? Well, I'm at early stages of just trying to get traction with the product. So I have a... 
I, I can I can quite easily veer out of the answer here by saying I haven't decided on pricing for it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm interested in getting the traction and the interest from the from the community, okay. and then use that to gauge how to price it. Yeah, um, there's a great talk I heard about um, hypergrowth, but with the founder of LinkedIn, who said they were still sort of years into the product before they worked out how they were going to monetize it. They just yeah. wanted to sort of get some traction and build the community first. So I feel that that's where I am with pricing that. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds really interesting. And something that I've actually thought of as I've been talking to you today is I think we should look more at our like billing or managing our time in, in bigger chunks because we, ha- we have quite a few projects on at any one time. We've got a handful of retainer clients and then usually a handful of, of projects all at the same time. And our days tend to just be so bitty so you, you could you could touch five different projects or more in a day. And like you mentioned earlier, the the kind of cognitive switching uh, that goes on between those and, and just the kind of administration of it all just means that actually our workday is probably highly reduced and, and much, much less efficient than if we were blocking out bigger chunks of time for a client. So maybe we go forward and say, you know, on Monday we do half an hour for this retainer client, and on Wednesday we do a full day for this retainer client, and 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 work that way instead of just trying to fit things in as as and when. I think that could actually make us a lot more efficient. And a tool like Simple Hours looks like it could really help with that. Yeah, I mean, some agencies manage it by having whole departments that just do the bitty things, and I think that's a, you know that's a good business model. So you have your core team building out projects on larger areas, and then you have teams that just do the the smaller items and because they're sort of optimized for that they can do them well but um i totally agree it's very tricky to switch between multiple projects um you know where you you only have so much bandwidth and uh there's a time cost to that and when it's when there's a time cost there's a you know an actual cost yeah because we we use tools like um we were using toggle we've recently switched to harvest Mm mm-hmm and it it does mean that you're literally you stop the clock on one task and then you jump into your inbox or your project management software look around for what you should be doing next you know it, it takes a few minutes to, and all that time you're not you're not charging and that, and that time really does build up over the course of a day a week a month a year uh whereas if you were focused just on maybe one thing on a day then you wouldn't have any of that that switching so yeah something to think about for sure i've got just a few more questions we're getting towards the end this has been a superb conversation uh we're approaching i think 50 minutes so far uh i I think we'll have fun with this (laughs) i don't want to edit any of it i think it's been (laughs) i think it's been a great conversation i've certainly got a lot a lot from it i could i think i could talk to you for hours on this stuff um but a few few final questions are you happy with the pricing decisions that you've made? Um, have they given you the business and the lifestyle that you wanted? Yes, I think the only caveat to that is, you know, a little bit of a frustration of the the value in the WordPress community, um, and yep. you know, and I think also, yeah. So I mean, that's that's why I've branched out into Laravel, um, not, not only from the Laravel and Vue and React, not only because. Um, I find that there are good challenges as a developer, but I think the opportunities are greater. Um, if you're in the WordPress community, um, I think there are huge opportunities of specializing in React. Um, I know that there are a lot of agencies out there, plugin developers as well, looking for contractors on ongoing jobs to build Guten this and Guten that. So there is still opportunity in, in the WordPress world, but it's a little bit frustrating. Yeah. If you could give listeners just one piece of pricing advice, what would that be? Increase your rates. Uh, it's such a cliche, isn't it? Increase your rates. But I mean, I was told that when I was um, when I was starting out, and I was I thought well, that's all very well, but I've got to find the the work that will give me that rate. But um, yeah, if you can increase your weight rates and work less, and then spend the other time chasing the larger jobs, then that can pay dividends. It is a bit of a risk to start with. But um, it's better to catch a big whale than get a whole net of little fish, in my experience. Yeah, 
an interesting little story from my early freelancing career was I was having a, a meeting with a prospective client and he told me during that meeting that he nearly didn't get in touch with me because I was too cheap. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the worst thing you want to hear. Um, but it's very true. You know, it, it, think about how much other people are charging and other, other companies are charging. You know, as soon as you get into your mind that there are WordPress agencies out there charging 800 to 1500 pounds a day, then you can use that to calibrate your worth. You know, in some respects, working with a, a freelancer is a much nicer experience for certain clients because there's there's less um, there's less bulk as well as the price point. You're not just selling on price. There's other elements involved to f- hiring freelancers and contractors. Yeah, I think that it's really easy to think as a, a freelancer or a small team that all the clients want to work with the big agencies, but actually they don't. We recently surveyed our clients and most of them came back and said that the size of our business was one of the reasons why they love working with us mm-hmm. because we're small and they're they're always dealing with the same people. They're dealing directly with the people that are they're doing the work and instead of a, a long line of interchangeable project and account managers. So uh, yeah, I think that there's absolutely value in, in being small. Um, so I, I don't think we need to, to keep our prices low just because just because we're not a 50 person agency. And the, the final thing I would say um, on, on the sort of the pricing is it's very hard to, to price yourself if you're doing everything. So if, if somebody comes to you with a project and you're going to take on the entirety of the project as a freelancer, it can be very hard because you need to specialize on development or you need to specialize on the, the design or the copywriting. So I would say working collaboration with other freelancers has been a major breakthrough for, for me. Often I synchronize our day rates together so it's easy for the client, but then we bill separately to the, um, to the client. I don't try and wrap it up as being sort of a, a single agency model. We're just f- fully transparent with the client, say, look, we're three freelancers, this is our day rates, we all have a similar um, expertise and um, we work well together and that, that's that's really opened a lot of doors. Elliot, it has been fantastic to speak to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Just one last thing, where can people find you and contact you? You can tweet me uh, at RaisinCO or go to my website which is uh, HTTPS Raisin.co um, or you can give Simple Hours a go at simplehours.com. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thanks, Elliot. Thank you. Bye-bye.